You are listening to a Mining Stock Daily podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the AME podcast, Exploration Matters. I'm your host, Kylie Williams, and today is Wednesday, August 10th. On the pod today, we're going to be talking about the great resignation and the skills gap that will follow behind that, and we have two great guests who are going to be exploring it from different angles. The first is Rhonda Zuraf, co-founder and principal at PNC Recruiting and HR. Our second guest is Eleanor Black, partner and senior geologist at Equity Exploration Consultants. Both Rhonda and Eleanor have a similar message, and that is that we need effective leaders to breed success, and that effective leaders have a domino effect on the rest of the industry. So what we really need to do is take the time to recognise those people who stand out as leaders and help develop them and give them the skills to attract and retain people and to lead us into the next generation of mineral exploration and discovery. Today on the show, we're going to be using the term boomers and baby boomers. We're using that uh, respectfully as a term to refer to the demographic group of people born between 1946 and 1964. Uh, My parents are in that group and of course we're using it just to refer to that demographic group and certainly not as an insult. Now for some grab samples of news from around the province. This morning, Dolly Varden Silva announced results from a drill hole at their Kitzel vein located near the historic Torbert mine in the company's Kitzel Valley project in northwest BC. The company's president and CEO, Sean Kunkun, said in the news release that the latest drill hole, the one that intersects 50.2 metres of 414 grams per tonne silver, was one of the widest and highest grade holes on the Dolly Varden property and that they will be prioritising additional step-out drilling at the Kitsolvane area. Also in the northwest, SK Mining Corp announced the discovery of a new volcanogenic massive sulphide VMS centre at Jeff North, as well as recent drill intercepts of polymetallic mineralisation in two areas along the TV Jeff corridor at their consolidated SK project. As of yesterday's release, over 13,000 metres of diamond drilling had been undertaken in numerous drill holes along the 3.7 kilometres of strike at TV Jeff. And finally, keeping things in the northwest today, ArcWest Exploration provided an update yesterday on their exploration programs planned for the summer and fall of 2022, including ongoing drilling at OEG Dome near the Bruce Jack Gold Mine, funded by Sanitana Resources, and imminent drilling funded by TDG Gold at Oxide Peak, which is adjacent to Centera's advanced stage Comes Copper Gold deposits. Today's episode of the AME podcast, Exploration Matters, is brought to you by PNC Recruiting in HR. PNC Recruiting in HR provide technical and professional recruiting services and human resources consulting services to employers and candidates throughout the Americas in the precious, space and industrial mineral mining sectors and the alternative energy sectors. In addition to executive and C-suite recruiting, the team at PNC provide leadership training, compensation, employee relations, communications, and retained HR support. Learn more at pncrecruiting.com.
Our first guest on the pod today is Rhonda Zuraf, co-founder and principal at PNC Recruiting in HR. I started out by asking Rhonda to tell us a bit more about the Great Resignation. I think all corners of the globe have have witnessed some aspect of what's termed the Great Resignation, but certainly in in North America and, and South America, we've seen it in the extractive space, where for a variety of reasons that often were triggered uh, from the p- pandemic. There's stats out there showing up to 4 million U.S. workers alone just in in the United States quit their jobs in 2021. And many of those being early to mid-career professionals have returned to the workforce or, or quit and moved on for other things. But those same folks, which are really the captive market, if you will, for the future of our workforce, have been intended to and have regularly communicated that they intend to stay with their current employer for up to two years. So it's really a shift in mindset. If you think about some of us, such as in my demographic, that are you know over 40 or over 50 and might typically place a a stronger value on longevity within any particular position. I don't believe we'll be seeing that in the future on top of the fact that we have some of this departure in workforce due to retirement, the baby boomer generation exiting the workforce and that type thing. So so I think in general, that's what the, the great resignation really uh, comes down to, and it makes an already challenging marketplace to recruit and retain retain top talent in our space an even bigger challenge. Absolutely. I'm going to jump to uh, one of my other questions because it plays off something you just said there, and that's that focus on different generations focusing on different career paths because I know that boomer generation tended to stay with one company and have a, a rather typical path that doesn't seem to be playing out in the the you know younger generations that are coming into the workforce or a, a mid career now why is it important to kind of recognize the strengths of those different career paths there's positives and negatives to both absolutely but you know what is it about those not typical career paths that we should be valuing you know i think it's there's two sides to that equation on one hand i think it's incumbent upon employers to regularly communicate with prospective employees as well as current employees on, you know, let's let's face it, we can't hire and promote everyone into a senior leadership role at the same time Mm -hmm. due to the nature of our business and Mm -hmm. and what where our needs lie. But at the same time, it's more and more incumbent on employers that C-suite decision maker group that human resources leadership group to set their business strategies around. And it takes time to do it. And and I suppose there is a financial burden, but it's really more about strategizing and taking time to strategize. How do we customize our approach to employee fulfillment and employee career development because no two employees are alike? And it's, it's hard work. It, it sounds, the, the concept is not challenging or difficult necessarily, mm-hmm. but the work takes 
takes place in individual engagement with employees to understand what their aspirations are, you know, whether we, we want to believe it or not. The employer next door in the sector who might be doing a better job at that than than another employer is going to win out every time if they're taking that time to understand those employer uh, employee needs rather um it might be as simple though as a work schedule mm-hmm. or um maybe it's a work location or job scope and how much job variety you can allow or build into a particular role every employee is tending to want something different yep. certainly yeah. between each generation and you know the cost to hire and and retain employees is not lost on on companies within the extractive space. So it's time well spent on the front end Mm. to improve your retention on the back end. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Sounds like, you know, managing the person rather than the position. Um, Yes, that's very true. I think something you said in there makes me think of something else you said in your PDAC presentation was that the company culture will set you apart because there's a lot of competition for for these workers where kind of the pool is is increasingly shallow. Uh, So what have you seen companies do that will help? You kind of mentioned a few things there that will help attract workers and, and build that company culture that attracts people and retains people in the extractive sector. You know, the, these are a bit anecdotal experiences, but but our firm does hire in the mining space mm. a few hundred employees, mostly in the technical and professional and and C-suite arena, a few hundred employees a year. So, so I think it is a fairly good test case for what happens in the real world with mm. the experiences we have. And let's face it, I- employees follow employees and Mm. people people attract people and we tell clients all the time if you surround yourself with an a team in your in your leadership group they then will attract those same kinds of people much the same people leave people more than they leave organizations and so when you think about the topic of culture a lot of our strongest clients are spending time and resource developing their frontline supervisor, their mid-level management, and their senior level management and leadership skill strength. And that's a service we actually spend a lot of time providing to our to our clients, wherein if you've got effective leaders, it just breeds success and is a true domino effect. So I think that's where culture starts, is having the right people in those seats. So often, and you see it in mining all the time, we promote people from within, which is a really great thing to do. And we feel good when we do it yeah. because they're really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. However, oftentimes we'll promote them and the world is moving so fast, we forget that, oh gosh, now we need to get these same folks ready to truly lead and lead effectively. And that's where we sometimes miss the boat is giving folks the tools to be a leader. And so we see always higher retention rates with employers who spend time making sure they've got effective leaders in those roles. And I don't want to get off the topic too much, but 
you can find data all day long that supports people leave companies because of leadership challenges far more than they do uh, for reasons like compensation. Mm -hmm. So so that's an aspect of culture. Another aspect of culture is employee engagement. Uh, what is the company doing? And it's good to take a look at this. What is the company doing to truly collect employee input, listen to employees, let them be part of solutions, yeah. and then report back feedback to to employees, whether it be through performance management discussions, individual career planning discussions, yep. things of that sort, just to keep the employee engaged. And then I also think too, it's, it's a, a topic uh, when, when you think about culture, it comes down to, in many cases, how are decisions made and is it inclusive or exclusive when you when you look at the 10,000 foot level in yeah. terms of how decisions get made? And time and time again, you'll find those inclusive environments went out. And lastly, uh, I, I do think it's important, the newer generations, and yep. we talk a lot about this in the industry groups we speak at, are looking for companies who put money where their mouth is in terms of sustainability and that whole ESG space. Mm -hmm. um, the newer uh, generations really are entering the workforce wanting to work for companies where they can go home at night feeling really good about representing the work that's being done. Yeah. So that brings me to my last question. You mentioned that you provide uh, HR services in the mining space, but also in the green energy, green technology space. How do we compare to industries like those? Because I, you know, they definitely have a different style. They have a different way of presenting themselves. So, you know, if someone's coming in and deciding between a role in the mining industry versus a green technology or a green energy company, how, how do we compare? How do we stack up? And you can be honest. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, on the surface, I think it's important to, to give credit where credit is due. Look, I think these are strategic workforce issues that every sector on the planet is facing mm -hmm. at a 10,000-foot at a level. And so we can't be too hard on ourselves to say that we've got a lot of work yet to do. And it really starts with business leaders um, strategizing around these issues as much as they strategize around the operational drivers of their business. Mm -hmm. But within that, it's not a secret that the mining space tends to be fairly traditional in its approach yep. with the thought around how employees will be incentivized and motivated. You know, I grew up in an era where you should be thankful that you've got an employer who, who wishes to employ you for many decades and you just hit the grind every day and do what you do and you'll reap those benefits. It's not that easy now. And, and it's incumbent upon leaders within the mining space to really challenge that status quo and think about these issues in new ways where those green energy sectors absolutely are, I think, more keen on throwing out some of the old notions. And a lot of it has to do with, let's face it, newer companies that have a clear slate and are mm. building from ground zero. Yep, yep. 
largely fall in that green energy space. So they've got a golden opportunity to get it right the first time. <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's easier to build that culture from the ground than it is to challenge a generation's worth of already embedded culture in, in a very successful company that we see often in, in mining. So, so they, they might have it easier in the green space, but it's no less important that those strategies get, get embedded. And, um, we see it across the sectors that we're in. We even serve to a much smaller degree sectors such as manufacturing and, mm. and you see it there too. So yeah. um, I could talk all day on, on the importance of it, but <laughs> mining, mining definitely um, does well when, when leaders within mining can challenge that status quo. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rhonda. I've I've learned a lot from this conversation. I'm looking forward to talking to you again soon. But let's leave it there for today. And thank you so much for, for being on the show and, and sharing your your observations and your on your knowledge on this. Great. Thank you so much, Kylie. And we're happy to be a part of your organization and would, would very much welcome ongoing opportunities to connect with, with your followers and your audience. Next up, we're talking to Eleanor Black of Equity Exploration Consultants. In the previous interview, you heard Rhonda talking about things from the 10,000 foot level. With Eleanor, we wanted to dive a bit deeper into the boots on the ground people who are conducting exploration. Eleanor is a partner and senior geologist at Equity Exploration Consultants and also a member of the AME board. She started out as a field geologist in Yukon and Nunavut and transitioned into GIS and project evaluation. She joined Equity in 2017 and quickly became a partner. To set the scene, I asked Eleanor what Equity does and the kinds of people that they employ. We provide turnkey project management and geological consulting. We've been successfully designing and operating exploration projects on behalf of those juniors and uh, some majors as well for 35 years. We support the full spectrum the mineral exploration industry has to offer, from challenging remote access, surface sampling and drilling programs to dynamic advanced stage multi-drill programs. In recent years, we've evolved to manage and support significant work at active mine sites, including Red Chris and Bruce Jack in British Columbia. Oh, wow. So yeah, that, that's all sizes from, I guess, from fly camps right through and, and prospecting all the way through to active mine sites. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, we offer a full suite of, you know, four people in a fly camp to 60 person camps with a full suite of support staff. So that's incredible. So I guess you then can see like that full spectrum of people that we need for it to support exploration. So can you just paint a bit of a picture of the breadth of people that we need to work on and support exploration and, and particularly here in, in British Columbia? Yeah, there are many roles required to make uh, projects successful. It's important to have strategic leadership that's able to shape program objectives and inform the budget and scope. For us, project management staff is key uh, to the explore to the success of an exploration program since they organize all the requisite subcontractors and staff and materials that you need to execute your desired activities. Mm -hmm. 
for equity that comes in the form of a project geologist who owns the overarching leadership role and technical aspects of the project and often is paired with a project coordinator who has maybe a more diverse skill set and they cover a variety of the program requirements, including logistics, health and safety, budgets, general administrative tasks. All of our technical tasks, uh, of course, are performed by geologists and in the industry in general, engineers would also sort of fill some of those roles. Yep. And then we have a full suite of supporting staff, including cooks, first aiders, site services that are essential to keep camps running safely and smoothly. All of this is combined with drillers, pad builders, helicopter pilots, geophysicists, surveyors, biologists, engineers, and other specialists, depending on the project scope. So there's so many people uh, required to make these projects run successfully. Absolutely. It, it makes you think like, you know, you mentioned a, like a four person fly camp, but, you know, there must be expediters who are getting their materials and the food and things to them. And they, you know, if it's a fly camp, it means you need a helicopter <laughs> to get you in and out. So there's just so many people that we need to support a project. Yes, definitely. And uh, typically constrained into a very small season as well in British mm. Columbia. That's that's another big challenge. Yeah, I guess the BC specific challenges are the the landscape and, and getting into these remote places that you can't drive to and then having two months or something to get in there. <laughs> yeah, particularly, yeah. yeah, the impact from the snowpack and wildlife restriction windows on flying. Yeah. It certainly can jam a lot of work and resources into one, you know, four-month block in British Columbia, particularly in northern British Columbia. Yeah, I'm going to sneak another question in there. Um, do you often get requested to have the same people year after year to work on projects? Because I can imagine that consistency year over year would be important to you. Yeah, we we aim to keep our personnel consistent on projects. You want to give the client that continuity best we can. Yep. The challenge there will always be that if there isn't consistent work, it's hard for us to keep someone dedicated to a project. So it really, it really depends on how consistent the workflow is. Uh, yeah, quite a juggle for for you guys managing all of that, I imagine. <laughs> yes. Yes. <I> feel like, <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about this skills gap. We hear a lot about the great retirement and, you know, we're in competition with other industries for workers and getting workers with the right skills to work in these remote locations and, you know, from a geology and technical perspective and also from a logistic and working safely in those environments. So you have a pretty unique perspective on this. Where do you see the biggest gaps that we're facing in the near future? Yeah, so the industry as a whole, there's going to be a big gap in leadership and expertise going forward as we lose the boomers to retirement. Mm. Market cyclicity has eviscerated a bit of the talent pool in certain demographics. The fallout of those downturns such as Briex in the 90s and the GFC means there's kind of a limited pool of remaining geologists and engineers with more than 10 years of management experience and technical mm. experience. So when I entered the industry, I could, you know, you could look around at the existing management teams that are 20 years older and 
there's really very few people in between there. And we're seeing the effects of that now with an extremely competitive market for management roles for both public companies and service groups. And then I guess it's hard to to fill that gap if it's a, a kind of a moving gap because, you know, that as those people retire, there's not really anyone to fill their shoes immediately. No. And I mean, one of the key things, say, at Equity we do is we identify people who have potential. They might not have all of the experience, mm. but through mentorship and training, people with the right attitude can take on a lot more. So that's been a very successful strategy for us. Yeah. So speaking of that and and finding people and preparing people, uh, looking into the next like five, 10 years, what approaches have you seen or heard about or tried yourselves are working to attract, you know, this next generation of workers to mineral exploration or or to bring people in to fill that that mid-range gap as well? So for us to engage our target market of geology students and graduate geologists, we cast a pretty wide net to a variety of educational institutions and organizations. Uh, Take every opportunity we can get to engage with those populations. That fold provides opportunity. We get to tell the students about the thrilling world of mineral exploration and educate them about what to do to be prepared for their first job. Uh, mm. And in exchange, we we kind of get the exposure we need. We talk to lots of people and tell them what opportunities are on the horizon. Yeah. And what kind of questions do you get? Like what you think people are clear on on what a career in mineral exploration looks like? Or do you think there's a either a perceived as like, well, oh, that's going to be really hard. I have to like live outside or are they glorifying it and saying, get to fly around in a helicopter. (laughs) I think the people that come to us tend to get pretty excited and they hear about what the potential is. And I mean, that's that's really the bright side for us is Mm -hmm. that newcomers to the industry are pretty enthusiastic. And again, with a bit of training and mentorship, there's really positive outcomes. And I think, you know, We tend to retain a fair number of our staff uh, as best we can, obviously, with the caveat that we can't control the markets and (laughs) where the money's coming from. So project pullback, you know, inevitably happens and uh, we're not able to keep everyone. But then most of those people have that experience to then go leverage and try and find jobs elsewhere. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you, Eleanor, for your time today and your perspectives on this. It's a it's a huge issue that we're you know talking about from so many different angles. But I think it's really important to to talk about those those people that are actually going to be on the ground and and doing that that hard work um, that's so essential to our industry. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Kylie. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the AME podcast, Exploration Matters. Exploration Matters is a Mining Stock Daily partner production. I'm your host, Kylie Williams, and today's episode was produced on the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations. Once again, thank you to PNC Recruiting and HR for sponsoring today's episode. 
If you would like more information about anything you've heard on the pod today, please visit amebc.ca for more information. And have a safe day every day. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. The Association for Mineral Exploration BC and Mining Stock Daily are not responsible for any loss arising from any decision connected to the information presented herein. Please do your research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions. 